Hello, everyone, and welcome back into a fabulous new Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. We are joined today by a wonderful artist. Today, we have the writer Andrew Agris, who is joining us to talk to us about Frigid New York's presentation of The Fantastical Fellowship. Final quest for the Crisis Crystal 27. It's playing January 25th through February 9th at Under St. Mark's, and you can get your tickets and more information by visiting frigid.nyc. We are so very excited about this show, and we can't wait to share it with you. So let's go ahead and welcome on our guest, Andrew Agris. Welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to have you here. I'm so excited to be talking about this show, The Fantastical Fellowship Final Quest for the Crisis Crystal 27. The title alone has me intrigued and my interest peaked. I want to know everything more. My inner nerd is like, okay, what's going on here? What are we looking for? So I, I want to start with my regular first question because I have to know, can you tell us more about the show? Yes. So the Fantastical Fellowship Final Quest for the Crisis Crystal 27 is the story of a magical heroine who is destined to save the world in this in this fantasy kingdom. And unlike most heroes' journeys, she fails, and then it's up to a ragtag group of uh, misfit friends to sort of put the pieces back together. And that's the plot of it. But I think the key thing to mention is that it's an interactive fantasy spoof. It has some elements of choose your own adventure to it. So audiences, there are, well, there are nine key different endings so far. So if you come back, you'll see a different ending. And then also in theory, and we'll see how this works, there are actually infinite endings because the audience helps fill in very specific details about what happens. I don't want to give too much away. So there's a lot of audience interaction, audience participation, but it's really designed for every comfort level. So like we don't make you come up on stage or like we don't call you out or anything. It's just whatever you feel like contributing, you can help choose the direction of the show. And then lastly, it's a spoof. So a spoof of a lot of classic fantasy works as well. I love that. Literally, as you were beginning to tell the synopsis of the story, I was like, this sounds very familiar. And then you put that hook in there. And I was like, oh, yes, here comes the audience participation. Bro. I love it. So where did you come up with the idea for the show? Yeah, so I'll tell you that it was maybe sort of like this podcast which I know started in 2020. So it was the pandemic. The pandemic happened. I was in grad school but now I was at Zoom grad school and I got really into fantasy works, I think because, you know, everyone was cooped up inside and a lot of fantasy stories have these epic journeys. They go to all these fantastical places and meet all kinds of characters who join in their quest. And it was like the two things you couldn't do, you couldn't go outside and you couldn't hang out with friends. And I feel like a lot of fantasy works, they have that sense of community, people coming together, and then going on a journey uh, to see things. So I got really into them, especially one called Final Fantasy VII. That's a classic video game, role-playing game from the 90s. And it's a pretty long game, but I figure, you know, I'm cooped up at home. I'm not doing much. It's the time to play it. And I was just really taken on this fantasy adventure. And so playing through it, 
I really loved the game, but I would jot down little bits and things as I played little sort of like not making fun of it, but just like little character interactions I had in my mind of like spoofing the game and spoofing fantasy tropes in particular. But I got into, I rewatched The Lord of the Rings, rewatched Neverending Story, uh, a few other fantasy works and got into them. And then with that, I just kind of put it in my, it was in my notes app. And that was that. And then 2022, things started to come back and I was the dramaturg and experience designer that I am sort of by, by trade. Off this, uh, I was for a show, Der Ring Got for Blanget by Charles Ludlum. I'm a huge fan. This will come up later of Charles Ludlum. This is, show is very much in line with his Theater of the Ridiculous. But anyway, it was directed by Phoebe Brooks, a talented director and classmate and friend of mine. And I was the dramaturg and experience designer on that. And so Phoebe said, you know, we're coming back. We just had COVID. We just had the pandemic and quarantine. We want to have some things that are interactive for the audience and add those to the script. They weren't in there. So I helped add those things. And Phoebe said, you know, this is great. You know, it'd be great to have some kind of spoof, fantasy spoof, where there were audience interactions baked into it from the beginning. And I kind of thought, huh, well, you know, I have this thing. It's just a collection of loose scenes in my notes app on my phone, but maybe there's something there. And then I kind of shelved it for a bit and I worked on my thesis, which was on experiential dramaturgy, specifically on making theater more experiential, adding interactions, but also just things like pre-shows or post-shows where audiences can engage with the show in various ways. And that got me thinking, you know, I think this is really coming out of quarantine, what I want from more theater to have it be more experiential. And so I put these scenes into a show at first just for some friends it was i kid you not three and a half hours long and some friends they read it they read the whole thing and they said this was hysterically funny we loved it but if you ever hope to actually do this it cannot be three and a half hours long and i said it's a very fair criticism and so i shortened it down to uh, an hour this one will probably be about an hour and a half and then we had a workshop and yeah now we'll have the full production that is amazing. And this is the first full production of the show, if I'm correct, right? Yes. So we had a workshop production with Daisy Theatricals, which is a great indie theater group kind of based out of New York City Center. So we had the workshop at the studio, one of the studio spaces at New York City Center in August and tested it out and got some great feedback. And so this will be the full production with Frigid amazing so i'm curious to know as we're about a little more than two weeks away at this time of recording from opening what has it been like developing the show so a blast in short a blast because so first going back to well actually going all the way back to writing these notes on my phone it's really funny to me that i just wrote these bits on my phone and I said, and I, I would look at them and say, oh, these are some funny spoofs. These are some funny spoofs of fantasy works. Who knows what this will be? And it's going to have this go from jokes to a, to a really long script, to a short script. But something I do want to mention is that we actually brought on a lot of people from During Gut for Blungeet, that production in 2022. So it's been fantastic to work with them, oftentimes from like the last year. 
and have them have a say in this and help develop it with me. And then the workshop production was really helpful because not only do we have a show, but we have all these audience interactions. It's almost like a game in and of itself. So having the audience was really integral at the workshop to developing the show, specifically the interactions. And we had a whole talk back. I met with a bunch of people and got coffee to just get their feedback. Someone who's been a, a huge help is Nick Fortunio, who is a game designer and a professor, who is my professor. Now he's, I believe, the head of games at CUNY. And he sees a lot of interactive and immersive theater and is really from a game design background. So he was super helpful in me pitching and like going over the interactive moments that mirror games and him saying, okay, this is, you know, what you're designing for. This is what may work. This is may what, uh, what you may want to be on the lookout for when testing, things like that. That is incredible though. I love the, 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 the community that you've had that, uh, you know, the outreach community you've had to, to help you get this along the way. That's amazing. Now, as you've said, it's a very much audience interacted show, kind of a choose your own adventure. This sounds so incredible. And I'm curious to know, is there a message or a thought that you hope the audiences take away from your show? So for that, I mean, I think there's a message within the show. There's a message within the show. And there's also kind of a message around the production itself. And that is to say that the within the plot of the show, and I'll, I'll explain this, being a fantasy work, something that I borrowed from a lot of fantasy works, but specifically Final Fantasy VII, is it's about these team, I think this is part of what drew me to playing the game, is it's this team of a ragtag group of heroes and their planet is dying. And there's this greedy corporation that is destroying the planet. So they go on this quest to save the planet. And I think playing this at a time when we're dealing with a lot of these issues in our own time, I thought, you know, that's really relevant. And this is a game from the 90s. Uh, and it is more relevant today than ever, unfortunately, for better and for worse. But I, I kept that in this spoof of these heroes who there's this evil empire that is exploiting the planet and its resources and doing a lot of things that evil empires do. And so they're the kind of underdogs fighting against that. So I'd say the message in the show is to take care of the planet and to don't, don't be an evil empire. I'll tell you that. <laughs> but also around the production, a big ethos we had was that we want to have a show with a lot of audience interaction that is fun for people who hate audience interaction. So not an explicit message, but something we came away a lot from our um, from our workshop or people who said, you know, I don't like audience interaction. When you invited me to this, I thought, why, why, you know, you know this about me, Andrew. And I was like, yeah, I know. I, this is why, this is why I want you here. And people came away saying, yeah, it, you can kind of meet it at whatever level. So I think it's something I want people to, who don't like audience interaction to feel taken care of. And I think also in a way, and this might go later on to if you talk about who it's for, but for people who are maybe theater people to have more appreciation of games and game design, whether that's video games, tabletop games, any kind of, you know, role-playing game, and people from game backgrounds who kind of see the, the game quality, interactive quality of the show to have more of a pre, an appreciation for theater. I know that, you know, not all theater is Shakespeare, or Ibsen or Chekhov, we have, you know, all kinds of really fun shows and a lot of interactive shows out there. I love that. I love that. 
goal of, of, of crossover fuel, that merging. Well, I now want to ask my final question for this first part of the interview, which is who do you hope have access to the fantastical fellowship? Yeah, that it's funny. I think we just sort of, we, we may have preempted a little bit, but yeah, I mean, I, to get into more of the specifics, I would say people, so definitely, you know, theater people who are kind of curious about games, like we just talked about, like we just said, people who say, oh, you know, I, I didn't know Dungeons and Dragons was like that, or I didn't know role-playing games were like that. I I want to kind of try something that's a, a the theatrical experience, but sort of mirrors that role-playing game experience a little bit, so they can kind of get their toes wet with this and then go on to, to the games. But on the flip side, I think people who, as someone who works in theater and games and kind of straddles both worlds you have people who are big game people you know people who are big fans of role-playing games video or either video games or tabletop who don't really know about theater and oftentimes they think oh you know theater it's not really for me especially in new york they think oh it's too expensive it's just people speaking in heightened accents and obviously you know theater is not all that but i think for a lot of people coming from game backgrounds, it's like, that's their touch point. You know, they read Hamlet and Death of a Salesman in high school, and they haven't gone to the theater since. And I hope that they come to this and kind of as a Trojan horse on the posters, we, and I did this deliberately, I don't mention that it's a play or even that it's theater. I mean, it is theater, but I just say it's an interactive fantasy spoof. And so I hope they go to it and say, oh, that sounds like something I'd enjoy as, as someone who, who's a gamer. And then they go to it and say, oh, wait a moment, this is this is theater? Theater can be this? Oh, cool. Well, you know, what else is playing? And then maybe they see some similar interactive things. You know, there's a lot of immersive theater in the city. Maybe they'll go on to that. Maybe they'll go on to some of the shows you mentioned that, you know, have these really exciting costumes and things to them that people would be into or, or have genre affiliations to them as well. second part of our interview, we love to let our listeners pick our guest brains and get to know them a little bit better. Pull the curtain back, if you will. And I am excited to do this with you and, and just get to know you a little bit better. And I want to start with our perennial question, which is, what or who inspires you? What playwrights, composers, or shows have inspired you in the past or are just some of your favorites? Yeah, that's the perfect question, because I was actually just thinking of my own experience of getting into theater. And so for me, so I kind of start off in that my family, family members really into theater. My dad would do a lot of acting on the side growing up. So I always knew of theater and, you know, I'd sort of go to things, but I thought this isn't really for me as a kid. I'm not super into it. And especially at the time, you know, learning Shakespeare in school, I said, this is old and boring. And I've come to love Shakespeare since. But the thing that did it, the show that did it for both Shakespeare and theater as a whole, was I went to see the complete works of William Shakespeare Bridged, the reduced Shakespeare company's spoof of every work of William Shakespeare. And I saw it and I just, it, it was my moment of going, oh, wow, theater can be like this. I, I did not know. And I actually, and what got me was 
the fact that there there are moments of audience interaction and it also it's a scripted show but there are certain moments that are improvised but as such it creates this illusion where you sort of think like almost the whole show could be improvised because of how off the cuff it feels and and the way the actors are supposed to you know play off each other and and incur like engage the audience directly and so i loved it so much i went back the next day and saw it again and, and I love seeing the things that were the same, the things that were different. And and the humor of it cracked me up. The Reduced Shakespeare Company, and then also brings me to my comedy hero, Mel Brooks. A huge fan of Mel Brooks. Mel Brooks, yeah, that is that is the that is the inspiration for me. I have seen all of his movies at least once. My favorite movie of all time is Spaceballs. There was a period in school where I would just watch it religiously. I think it was around elementary school, middle school. I watched it. <laughs> it was like once a month, if not more. I just loved that movie. And I loved it. It became my favorite movie before I had ever, I had even seen Star Wars. And then once I saw Star Wars, I was like, I don't get all these references, but I'm, I'm just, I'm still into it. And once I saw Star Wars, I went back and went, whoa, it's even funnier. And so that's why I keep watching it. Each time I watched it, there was something else I got. And I think in some ways, this show kind of aims to be that for fantasy. And I've had people say, I'm not a fan of fantasy. I don't, I haven't seen Lord of the Rings, but they went to the workshop of this show and they said, oh, I just liked the humor of it. This is very Mel Brooks humor. And so the first Broadway show I ever saw was Young Frankenstein. And I know coming off the producers, which also you know, phenomenal, Young Frankenstein, people were kind of mixed about, but I, I loved it. And then let's see, another inspiration. Oh, I mentioned earlier, Charles Ludlum, who I feel like is someone that a lot of comedic spoof theater owes a debt to, but people don't always know his name. So for a little backstory, a theater artist, very active in the 70s and 80s, who unfortunately died young due to AIDS, but wrote a ton of plays, many of which spoof existing works. He's most known for the mystery of Irma Vep, which I, I only read for the first time in grad school, but a lot of people had recommended to me over the years and, and I was hooked and would do a lot of things with actors, like too few actors playing too many roles, a lot of physical humor, things with quick changes, props, of course, a lot of spoof and, and camp. So another big influence on this show. And of course, I I got to uh, be the dramaturg on a production of his during Got for Blungeet. So that factored in. And then other inspirations, I would also throw in the vampire cowboys as pioneers of sort of nerd theater or geek theater. Shows like The 39 Steps, I always enjoy. And also just that feels, it feels very fringe theater to me. And I should say I'm a big fan of the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. And I, I've been twice. And each time I go, I just try to see as many shows as I can. A lot of the stuff there is the kind of theater that's very ridiculous, oftentimes interactive or experiential. A lot of spoofs there. And I really, I really enjoy that kind of theater. I love that list. That is a great list, especially Mel Brooks. Oh my God. The man is a comic genius. He, anything he touches is gold. I just, I adore him. He's, he is the definition of comedy. I mean, oh my God, there's so much to learn there. Kind of snowballing with that. Have you seen any great theater lately that you might be able to recommend to our listeners? Yeah. So actually this will 
this will kind of go along with it. A few things. There's a show I saw that runs monthly called The Saga of the Shining Emblem. And that's another show. There are a bunch of shows I've, I've seen that kind of, I think, have been borrowing, you know, from role playing. And that's one where it's a two person show and one person is just doing the music and the other one brings an audience member volunteer up on stage and then does a whole interactive fantasy adventure based on their choices which is really fun and that plays i think mostly at the brick each month and then i to the surprise of no one uh, i recently saw spam a lot and actually two people surprised this this may be controversial i like monty python i love mel brooks more but when i i've seen the movie of spam a lot or monty python the holy grail the movie version i should say it's I don't, I'm not a huge fan of it. And that always surprises people. But Spamalot, something about making it a musical actually really works for me. And this this production, I I was really sad that I, I didn't get to see the original with Tim Curry. But this one, James Monroe, Eagleheart, great singer. Taron Killam is hysterically funny. And I know he's leaving soon, I believe, for Alex Brightman, so I'm, who I'm sure will also do a great job. But great, great cast and a lot of fun updates. And so say if you'd seen the original Spamalot or any earlier production, I'd, I'd go back and see this one because there are a lot of... Actually, my, my favorite jokes in this one were not in the original. So I, I recommend that. And then also, it, it did close last month, but I feel like it's probably going to be done regionally is Poor Yellow Rednecks by Kui Gwen. Kui Gwen was actually one of the founding members and artistic director of Vampire Cowboys and also did She Kills Monsters, which is I think the most famous play about Dungeons and Dragons. So his newest play, Poor Yellow Rednecks, is sort of a fictionalized retelling of his family, but has a lot of really fun, hyper-stylized, comedic fight scenes and things and feels very comic book inspired. So that closed, but I feel like it's probably going to go regionally, I imagine. That is a wonderful list. Some wonderful suggestions in there. I love that. Let me ask you now, what is your favorite part about working in the theater? A few things. I, I, I'll, If I may, I'll do a couple of favorites, a few favorites. But one is collaboration. I love collaborating with different artists and I, in fact, I actually, if I, if I may, you may indulge me, I want to give a shout out to them because we have such an amazing cast and crew on this show. So Phoebe Brooks, incredible director, associate director uh, for the Da Vinci Code. So it's moving on to big things. But after doing Duringut for Blungeet, she said, you know, I very much want to do a fantasy spoof that's interactive. That's really her bread and butter. She loves uh, what she calls joyful theater, audience interaction. She's phenomenal. She's added some incredible bits to the script. Stephanie Litchfield is a phenomenal actor who joined us for the workshop. I never met her before, but she's, I think, kind of the closest the show has to a lead. And then Patrick Elizalde, Mary Rose Go, Theo McKenna were all from Duringat for Blanget. And so I knew right from the beginning that I was like, oh, if I could get them back, that would be great. And they, they immediately said, yeah, you know, after doing one fantasy spoof, we're down for another, and they're all talented in their own in their own right. And then, last but not least, is Becky Ho, who is a classmate of mine at Columbia, 
in the acting department and she's a huge fan of D and D. I didn't know that actually. I actually reached out just being like, I think she'd be really, really good for this role. And she was like, Oh, I love, I love fantasy stuff. I'm, I'm so into this. And she's the kind of person who, who like plays like every minor part. And she is the, if you know, like a gentleman's guide to love and murder, like she's the Jefferson Mays. And I hope she wins a Tony for this or for, for something. On the crew, associate producing is Greg Tinani, who's a really accomplished playwright, but also produced a lot of his stuff. And so is uh, lending his talents on this as well. Brandon Bowles is our sound designer. Christopher Wong is our lighting designer. Both of them did awesome work with Durang, bringing him back. And then Liv Rigdon is doing costumes and Kanaka Vaish is doing props. And they're both friends and classmates of mine and have just really wild senses of humor. So it's great to have their unique sensibilities in the props and costumes. And I think some of the, the big laughs may come from their props and costumes specifically. And then for stage management, we have, this is fun, Amelia Johnson-Jones and Amelia McGinnis. So two stage managers who have the same name, but pronounced differently. And both of them have just been so great at tracking the audience interaction, making notes of that. And so I just wanted to give a shout out to all of them because this, to, I think to stress that this really is a, an ensemble show. And I know you're just talking to me today, but like, sure, I wrote this, but so many things rely on the actor's comedic timing and their penchant for or improvisation. You know, the crew being willing to work with this kind of choose or adventure structure. And yeah, it's, it's just a phenomenal experience. And so for me, I lived in Chicago for a while and I did a lot of improv there. I... I did the Second City College program there, and then was part of the way through the conservatory there when I actually moved to New York for grad school, and then did a lot of classes and shows and things at the Annoyance as well. And so some great improv in Chicago. I didn't really have much experience before then, really, but it's like when in Rome, when in Chicago, if you do theater, you have to do improv. So that's where I feel like I really learned this yes and collaboration drive, and then also, as a dramaturg, I love delving into research. And so for this show, putting together a packet of like everything that this show references was a lot of fun. And then last but not least, I'll just say creating for audiences in mind. And obviously all theater is for audiences, but it's really fun to have one where we have to actually say, okay, we have to bring in test audiences because we don't know what they're going to do and we want to see what they might do and just using those use the improv and, and choose your adventure techniques to, to work within that framework has been for for other theater artists, maybe that would be like a nightmare, but for, for this team and for us, and for me in particular, I love working with, you know, what's the audience going to do and creating things where they feel like they're only set up for success and like, they're not going to be stressed about it. They're just going to have fun. I Love that. That is so fantastic. And what a great team you have. That is amazing. And now we have arrived at my favorite question to ask guests, which is, what is your favorite theater memory? Ooh. Oh, it's funny because I, I think I, oh, I, I blew the lid on that one. I think it, it might have been going to the reduced Shakespeare company or uh, or production, I should say, of Shakespeare Bridge, then going back the next day. But but actually, you know, that was a great one of seeing theater and seeing theater twice in a row. I would also say being in the show. So actually in college, there was a production of it and I said, I have to audition. 
And it was so fun having a show that I loved and I had seen multiple times in the same week and that I got to audition for and I got cast and then be on the other side of it and go, oh, okay, here are the things where there's audience interaction and I get to now go into the audience and say, okay, it's going to be a little bit different each night. And that was a lot of fun. And again, the cast was hysterical and just making each other laugh. That was a great experience. And then another one, I think I'll just add those more. The first time, I mean, even both times, but the first time definitely going to the Edinburgh Fringe. I would say if you've never been to the Edinburgh Fringe and you're a fan of like experimental or sort of off, off Broadway or quirky theater, you have to go, to, you have to make the pilgrimage to go to the Edinburgh Fringe. I saw more theater both times I went that I had ever seen in my life in like such a short time. It's like in one in one week, I saw like 15 shows. It's super cheap. Each show is like 10, the equivalent of about 10, $15. And they get some big name people there actually. And, you know, some also uh, just some people starting out. I saw this one, the first time I went was in 2013. And uh, was it 2013, 2012, 2012. And I saw this up and coming comedian who no one had ever heard of named James A. Castor. And now he has, I think like three Netflix specials and he's great. So getting that experience of, well, you know, I didn't see it, but Fleabag started at the Edinburgh Fringe. A lot of great places you get to see up and coming theater there. But that I, yeah, you got to do it. And yeah, it was like my high school, we actually did, went and performed production of Alice in Wonderland there. So shout out to Pennington Drama for for introducing me to the Edinburgh Fringe. And I and I hope to go back again sometime soon. Those are amazing memories. Thank you so much for sharing those. I want to ask, are there any other projects or productions coming on the pipeline for you that we might be able to plug? Yeah, uh, some things sort of tangentially in the works. I'll tell you, a friend of mine, a classmate of mine, Dylan Guerrero, last year started this great festival called The Witching Hour of a, a festival of short horror plays. And their idea behind it was just that, like, we don't have enough horror theater and it's so much fun. I didn't mention it earlier, but also I'm a big fan of uh, the Rocky Horror Picture Show and, you know, that interactivity. That's a big influence. And so I had talked to them and said, hey, you know, are you going to do this again? And they said, we want, I want to try to do it again, but I don't know. I, I think I want someone to help produce it. So I'm going to take over for producing that. Last year it was in the spring. We might move it back to the fall, maybe keep it in the spring, but could be on the lookout for that. And that's, you know, not solidified. And then going back to spoofs though, I am the dramaturg on a great show by the playwright El Mirovich called The Gorilla War Fur, which is going up at The Tank, I believe in May. And that is a spoof of noir set at a zoo. A lot of fun. And then also I mentioned uh, Daisy Theatricals earlier who helped produce the workshop production. And I want to give a shout out to them because they'll have a short play festival, I believe in the spring. And I don't know exactly what they said. We want you involved in some capacity. We don't know exactly what. And as a, a multi-hyphenate artist, that's often par for the course. We're like, yeah, get involved in this. We haven't decided if we want you to to dramaturg, write, act, to improv, whatever it is yet, but we'll let you know. So I'm always like, yeah, okay, I'll, you know, let me know and I'll, I'll do something. Yeah, so that'll be, that'll be coming up, uh, I believe, in the spring. That is fantastic. So you got a few irons going in the fire, which yeah. is wonderful. And a great lead into my final question, which is if our listeners would like more information about the Fantastical Fellowship, Final Quest for the Crisis Crystal 27, 
or about you, maybe they'd like to reach out to you. How can they do so? Yeah, thank you, Andrew. Yeah, a few different ways. For me and the show, I have a I have a website now. I've been talking about it for a while. I finally made one. Bit the bullet, andrewagris.com. So that's A-N-D-R-E-W-A-G-R-E-S-S dot C-O-M. And that'll have information, all the different things I do and me. And there's, I believe there should be a way to contact me there. And I'll also tell you if you want to learn more about the show or contact me or the show, I have an email set up for that fantasticalfellowship at gmail.com. So again, that's fantasticalfellowship at gmail.com. And then to get tickets to the show, you can just go to frigid.nyc. Frigid is co-producing and they've been great and go to their website. They have a bunch of shows and our show is there. You can get tickets there. And then I also want to plug a few places, put it uh, listed on their calendars of events and things to do in the city but everythingimmersive.com put it up there. And I mentioned that because they have a lot of great interactive theater to check out there. And also it's run by No Proscenium, which is a great group for especially immersive theater, but also interactive theater. And they have a great description of the show and they go into a bit more detail on the the interactions and sort of gamified elements of it. So I, that's great. And you can get tickets through them. It links to the Frigid page as well. But yeah, and, I, and I'll say that, I mean, one thing I want to mention is we're, we're having so much fun in rehearsals right now, but I think this is a show where like, if you're a comedy fan, I think you'll enjoy it. If you are a fan of fantasy works, I think you'll enjoy it. If you're, you know, if you're any kind of quirky, weird theater, you know, come see it. If you're a fan of, if you, you know, are looking for death of a salesman, don't come see it. This is not that show. You will, you will be disappointed. But if you're looking for something that's fun, interactive in a super low pressure way, if you have half as much fun as the cast is having right now in rehearsals, you're going to have a great time. I love it. Yes. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for taking the time today to speak with me. I am so excited about this show. This sounds amazing. Thank you. I can't wait to come see the show down at under St. Mark. So thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you, Andrew. My guest today has been the writer, Andrew Agris, whose new show, The Fantastic Fellowship, Final Quest for the Crisis Crystal 27, is being presented by Frigid New York, January 25th through February 9th at Under St. Mark's. You can get your tickets and more information by visiting frigid.nyc. And you can also get more information about the show and about Andrew by visiting his website, andrewagris.com or send an email to fantasticfellowship at gmail.com. Of course, we're going to have all of this information listed on our episode description, as well as on our social media posts. But make sure you come out and join us down at Under St. Mark's between January 25th and February 9th for this incredible show. This is definitely a wonderful experience. You're not going to want to miss. As Andrew said, if we have half as much fun as the cast is having in the rehearsal, then it's a win. So you know it's going to be a great show. Again, the show is the Fantastical Fellowship Final Quest for the Crisis Crystal 27, playing January 25th through February 9th. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep talking about the theater in a stage whisper. Thank you. If 
if you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. And be sure to check out our website for all things Stage Whisper and theater. You'll be able to find merchandise, tours, tickets, and more. Simply visit stagewhisperpod.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you.